All our lives, uh, they told us that we were supposed to choose a side, that sides were important. Matter of fact, I hated playing certain on certain like baseball teams or whatever, you know, neighborhood stuff, and, and they, they line you up, and then somebody had to pick you. And the fear is they'd always pick you last. Of course, I, would, I wouldn't let that happen. I would quit them before they quit me. Come on, somebody say amen. But um, when I was growing up, it's not much different than it is today. And so I'm going to start out by telling a little bit on myself um, to get this ball rolling this morning. People that may have heard this on Thursday are going to be privy to this, and those that have been around me for a while will already know. But I used to be a racist. That got your attention, didn't it? For about two months, I was a racist in my life. I thought I was a racist. You know what I found out about racism? First of all, um, it's, it is real. It is alive and well. But I found out that it's more it has to be learned. It's a learned behavior. If you put children in a room and you let them play together, all different ethnicity, all different color of skin, yellow, black, brown, white, mocha, come on, someone say amen, everything in between red, uh, you'll find that children will play together. They'll have a great time together. They'll, they'll, they might be stingy with their toys a little bit, and they might argue over certain little things and games and stuff like that, but they will not call one another out because of the color of their skin. Why? Because that's something that's actually learned over a period of time. I was brought up, obviously, as a white boy in a white family um, and uh, lived in a predominantly white uh, neighborhood, not uh, special by any means, uh, uh, probably mid to lower uh, class, but uh, all pretty much all white. Um, I lived in a, a city called Rockford, Illinois, that was as divided as Milwaukee is, and then and, and you had people on certain sides of the, of the, the river uh, that belonged to certain places. They were, that's what you were told. And, uh, but I never had any interaction with uh, people, oh, yes, with color from time to time, but never with any type of racism. It, didn't, just didn't, it, did not, it did not live and dwell in my home. I was not brought up that way. I was also, uh, for a while, in a parochial school uh, where Jeff uh, didn't do real good with the rules. I'd never been much of a rule follower. Uh, I try now to be more of a rule follower, but I still hate them. I don't like rules. If they're there, they're meant to break. That's the way I look at them, right? And so sometimes the rebellious people at church, I kind of get it. I kind of get it sometimes because I like to rebel a little bit myself. But I've gotten better. Praise God. If they say sit on this side, I'm like, nah, I'm going to sit on this side see what happens, you know. But, um, but so I always push the envelope. I, and I didn't serve God. I was a heathen. Um, uh, backslidden at the time, and and uh, and so I, you know, I wanted my sin, and so I didn't pay attention, and I didn't listen to the rules. I ended up getting arrested, and because I was on probation at the time with the school, they used it. There was a Christian school at the time. They used it as their leverage to kick me out of school, and I'm not proud of that. Broke my parents' heart. It was a big deal. Um, we, it was a school that we actually went to church to as well. It was a big church in Rockford. If I named it, some of you know who who the church is, where where it is. And, um, and, uh, and so uh, I got kicked out. As a result of that, my parents said, I'm gonna wait, we're not going to waste any more, more money on this boy because it costs a lot of money to put him in private school and try to, try to teach him Christian stuff. He ain't listening anyways. We're going to put him in public school and just pray for him. So I went to public school um, at a, a school called West High School. In, in Rockford, Illinois. And those that would know at the time, now it's a middle school, at the time it was a high school, and it was a divided school. What I mean by that is that 50% of the kids that went to that school were black. The other 50% were white. 
because I lived on the northwest side, west side of town would be the black side of town, as we would call it, and the northwest side kind of was that, that brackish waters where the, where the salt water and the, and, the, and the fresh water meet together. Kind of that's where I lived. And so, um, and anyways, so I went to school there. Again, not knowing anything, getting thrown into it. Nobody knew me, and I didn't know anybody there. But one thing I found out right away is there's the black side and there was the white side. And they were going to make me choose a side. Was I going to be for them or for us? Maybe you've not heard that before, and it's getting pretty quiet in here, and you're getting uncomfortable. I don't know why you're getting uncomfortable. You grew up the same way I did. I'm just going to tell them myself, you get the reality of what's really going on here. I didn't know nothing about being prejudiced at all until I learned how to become prejudiced against somebody else. And so I chose the white side. Why? Because I wanted to be safe. I noticed that it was violent in that school. And so you needed friends. And so because of that, I chose the white side, which was an easy pick for me, being that I was already white. At the time, I did not know that I was choosing a side, really. I just thought, well, that's what you got to do to survive. That's what you do. And so uh, they would say this about that, this particular group of people. And they would say that about this particular group of people. And then after a while, the devil, will, he'll always take a little bit of truth, always take a little bit of truth to mingle it, to deceive you, to think your eyes are telling you something that they're really not telling you. And then I noticed that I saw black kids jump white kids. I saw white kids jump black kids. And I never got involved in it. I tried to stay to myself. I'll be honest with you with all that. But, um, but you start to build up a certain type of resentment towards a certain group of people because everything now you're being told is kind of manifesting before your very eyes. I want to say that to my black brothers and sisters. The same is true for you. You've been told things as well, and it will manifest before your eyes. You got, oh, that's got to be the truth. That's got to be what's really going on here. We need to open our eyes up to what God sees, not to what man sees. I didn't know that. I didn't even know I had to do that. In my mind, I'm just trying to survive. Oh, poor white kid. No, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to let you know that it, it works on all sides. And so, uh, again, never had grown up this way in my entire life. I don't think my folks know. They might be horrified I'm telling them right now. I have no idea. But this is what this was the reality of my life at that time. I, um, something significant happened. One day I decided to go out and I was going to smoke a cigarette uh, outside. And, um, and uh, you know, kids will do that between classes sometimes. So I, and there was, there was a little bit. I remember it was cold outside and I was kind of huddled in the doorway. And was, you can, uh, there's another kid next to me over here and there's kids, you know, kind of doing the same thing. So you really can't see out of your peripheral at all. All you can, you just have your cigarette and you're going to go back in. And kids don't smoke. Praise God. I was, the doctor said I was supposed to be six foot four. This is what happens when you smoke. Just letting you know, I'm just, that's, I don't know if that's true or not. But I, it's not good. It's not it's terrible for you. And um, so uh, uh, all of a sudden, a fight breaks out. And I see it right before my very eyes. It's a white kid and it's a black kid. Next thing I know, it's like 25 black kids, 25 white kids, and they're in the middle of the lawn, in the middle of the school, and that means they're going fist to cuffs. I mean, they're fighting, right? And, and everybody's cheering one side, cheering one side on, the other side's cheering the other side on. And my mind, I'm thinking, this is bizarre. I'm just trying to have a cigarette. It was like watching a movie. Like, what in the world's going on here? You don't know what's happening. You just see it right in front of you, right? And um, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this big six-foot-four, and I recognized he was, a, he was a football player. He was well-known in the school. I wish I could remember his name now. I just can't remember because I'd like to look him up. But um, he was a big kid, black kid, and he come running out, bounding out of there. And, man, when he just come with force, a big booming voice. He looked like he was 25 or 30 years old, you know, full-grown beard the whole deal, right? He jumps between them, right, and he picks him up 
by the nap of their necks, like, like two ragdolls are like hanging by their feet. <laughs> and so, and he throws one this way and that way. And he goes, he said, you see this? This is what's going on in this school. This is what's wrong right now in this school. Is this racial difference that's going on. This violence that's going on. He said, you're both on the same wrestling team. You're both on the same football team. Y'all team members. You hear me? Y'all are team members. You're supposed to be protecting one another. Look at y'all cheering everybody on. Everybody y'all going to end up in jail like everybody else. He said, enough of this violence. You hear me? We're supposed to be for each other. And I was like, preach on, brother. That sounds like a good word to me. I mean, I, and it was like, listen, it was like the anointing of God fell upon that young man. It went in my heart. And from that day forward, I said, that's right. This is wrong the way I've been thinking. This is not the way I'm supposed to think about people. We're all wrong. Amen. And I've never been racist since, praise God. Truth is, we're all one race. We're the human race. Somebody say Amen. But we all have different ethnicity. And there's nothing wrong with that. You can be proud of that. How many Hispanics folk we got in here? Just wave your hand at me real quick. Wave your hand, wave your hand. All right. How many black folk we have in here today? Yep, that's right down the middle like I expected. How many white folk we got in here today? We, we got more white people in here. That's, that's typically not. Every white person in the church decided to come today. Praise God. We even have more white people on the team. I noticed that. Praise God. People laugh at me, you know, because I always believe that we're supposed to represent the city, so we should look like the city. So when I came to this, I came, I came to pastor the church. I kind of, I did it tongue in cheek. I did it as a laugh, as a joke, but but I wanted them to know I, I was serious about going after people of of different color. I didn't want to have a white church. I didn't believe that was what God wanted us to have. And so I, I would kid around and I would say, Look, I don't want too many white people in here. Why? Y'all make me nervous. I said, What? What? You're white. I said, That's what you think. <laughs> My, my thing is, how many, by the way, how many, uh, how, many, how, many, uh, how many others do we have? I mean, you're other than what I just mentioned. Let me see other than. How many mixed, y'all? How many mixed, y'all? Look at all these mixed people in here. And you know they're the best-looking ones in the whole group, right? They got a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It just looks really good, right? My little granddaughter you saw up here, right? She's mixed, praise God. She's half Mexican, hallelujah. And she's gorgeous. Somebody say Amen. Our church, those that can't see in this room today, uh, so you know, is about 40% Hispanic. We, this is approximated. About 40% Hispanic, 40% black, about 18% white, and all 18% happen to be here today. And <laughs> the, I don't know what happened. <laughs> you guys are awesome. Uh, and the other 2%, we don't know who you are, what you are, but we're just glad you're here. Praise God. All right? We're glad you're here. This is America. People have asked me, well, how did you do that, preacher? How did you get them people? Because, you know, other pastors would like to have, they'd like to have other people groups in their church, right? And they, they're kind of willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen. And I said, I don't know what I did. I, I, I said, I just believed in my heart. That was what was supposed to be. I stood up and preached. And I thought, you know, people are people. If you'll just preach the truth and tell the truth, people begin to show up. And if they trust you, it just begins to grow even more. I wasn't, always, I wasn't always trusted by all the other pastors when I came into town because they didn't know my intentions. But the people begin to trust, and they begin to come over. And that's how we begin to build our church. I want everybody to know, so that you won't be shocked in heaven, there's not going to be a north side of heaven and a south side of heaven. Oh, y'all need to shout louder than that. I said, not going to be a north side or a south side of heaven. 
Ain't going to be an inner city or a hood in heaven. Ain't going to be no suburbs in heaven. Come on, somebody. The Rothschilds are going to live right next to the Jeffersons. Somebody ought to shout and say amen. We're moving on up to a deluxe apartment in the sky. High, high. Come on. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if there's no suburbs or hood in heaven, and if there's no north side, south side, east side, west side in heaven, what makes you think that's supposed to be that way on earth? We're supposed to be a direct picture of what's going on in heaven, and there's unity amongst all the people that are in heaven. Somebody shout yes. Hallelujah. What happened up here? I'm stepping on stuff and I'm sticking to the carpet. What's going on there? My God. That, how did crucifixion blood from our production get right there? Or is that real blood? Y'all take your praise and worship serious up here, like sticking to stuff. Amen. I want to take a minute um, and talk about a, a, a verse of Scripture, passage of Scripture, if you will, that we've mentioned the last two times. Last Sunday we mentioned it, and Thursday night we mentioned it. I want to mention it again, and I want to expand even further. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2 says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days, how many believe we're in the last days? That the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top, on the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations, everybody say all nations, shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord sh shall come from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the, everybody say judge. judge. He'll judge, separate between the nations, what's good, what's bad, and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall lift up sword against nation. Neither uh, sh shall not lift up, and neither shall they learn war anymore. Okay? Now, we have found out that the word nation here is the Greek word ethnos. Ethnos. It's where we get our English word ethnicities. So when God is speaking of the nations, he's speaking of the ethnos or the ethnicity of people that live within those nations. The phrase, the mountain of the Lord's house, is Old Testament language for God's house or what we would call in the New Testament, the church. The church being established, it says, on the top of his mountain. And his mountain is higher, the Bible says, than all the rest of the mountains. Mountain represents the kingdom of God. So we're talking about what? All ethnicities will flow into the house of God or the church within what? Within his kingdom, and his kingdom and his house is above all other kingdoms and their houses of authority. It refers to uh, the fact that we are, to, we are called the house of Jacob in the scriptures here. The house of Jacob, which is representative of the church in the last days. There are three dispensations. You have Abraham, who is Father Abraham. I remember the song, Father Abraham. 
had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. He was the beginning of it all. He would be the first age of the first dispensation. Then he had a son by the name of Isaac. It was his son from Sarah, his only son. And, and he was born. He became the second age or the second dispensation. But then Isaac had another son, had a son rather by the name of Jacob. And he was the third age or the third dispensation. And he represents the church. He represents the church. And God says that all nations, all ethnicities shall flow into what? The church. In particular, the last day's church. Because Jacob represents the latter church. Not the beginning, but the end of it. Everybody say the church. And his church is not the white church. His church is not the black church. His church is not the Hispanic church. His church is the all nations church. All of us coming together as one. I am not belittling those who have predominantly Hispanic churches or predominantly black or Asian churches or whatever or white churches. I'm not belittling that. I'm saying, but that's not a picture, a true picture of heaven. And if you only represent that in your community, praise God. But if we want all souls saved, it's got to be an all nations mentality. All nations, all ethnicities flowing into the house of God. Isaiah 2 goes on to say that ethnicity shall not lift up sword against ethnicity. Nation, sword raising against nation. Indicating that God's desire is for every people group and color to be represented in his house together as one. And the trick of the enemy for us is to begin to lift up sword against one another. That's where we've got to draw our line. And I'm going to talk about that today. That we don't get into a place where we begin to lift up sword. In other words, we're going to intentionally fight one another, specifically over the color of our skin. The church is to be the model or the light to the world of how all ethnicities should get along. How all ethnicities should trust one another. How all ethnicities should begin to work together. Look at your neighbor and say, put down your sword. Put down your sword of judgment. Put down your sword of hate. Put down your sword of misunderstanding. Put down your sword of inequality. Put down your sword. And if you're going to lift up your sword, lift up your sword against Satan and put your foot on his neck and tell the devil, go to hell. You have no authority in my city. We are living in a time that we should be beating our swords, not beating our brothers and sisters of color. We need to beat our swords in the plowshares, beat our swords in the pruning hooks, not weapons to be used against our neighbors, but implements of harvest. Pruning hook is a harvest implement. Uh, uh, the Bible talks about plowshares. That's what? That's preparing for the harvest. Of what? Of our neighbors, of our city of our loved ones to come into the what? the kingdom of God that all people groups can flow into the house of the Lord. The truth is that the church is still one of the most segregated institutions in the world. But we're getting better. I'm going to look at the glass half full. I said we're getting better. We're not there. We got a room for improvement, but we're getting better. You look at the streets right now filled with people, and I notice it's not just black folks out there. I'm so proud to say we got brown people out there. I'm so proud to say that we got Asian people out there. 
I'm so proud to say we got white people shoulder to shoulder out there. All saying enough is enough. Why we need each other. United we stand, divided we fall. Church, Jesus unifies. Religion is what always divides. Religion is a killer, folks. Religion is what killed Jesus. Oh, you didn't hear me. Jesus never came to uh, birth the religion of Christianity. That was not the outcome. He, he didn't come to birth a religion at all. He come to let people know you can have a relationship with the Almighty anytime you want. You just must repent and believe, he said. Amen. And by the way, he's still the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by him. Jesus Christ is still the answer today as he was 2,000 years ago. Don't get me preaching on that. Amen. And, uh, and it's imperative that we understand that religion is what killed Jesus in the first place. Who were the religious of the day? Pharisees, Sadducees. Who was the one that complained about Jesus the most? Pharisees. Who were the ones that, that uh, wanted Jesus to be killed the most? Pharisees. Because they did not recognize the day of their visitation which was prophesied about the religious community. Oh, they knew the word. They knew the Pentateuch. They knew the law. They knew the Torah, backwards and forwards. And, buddy, they'll hold you to make sure that you follow those rules. No, no problem. But they did not recognize the Son of God, the Mashiach, the Son, Jesus Christ. Remember I told you last week, that means Messiah, the anointed one with his anointing is what that means. They didn't recognize him when he showed up. Why? They were blinded by their religion. People don't need you to throw a book in their face. They need to see Jesus in your eyes and with your expression and with your mouth. Let me explain something to you. Racism, and I'm going to, if you don't mind, I, I had to do some study. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to show you what I, what I study, what I believe to be true. Racism actually became very prevalent after the reformation of the church in 1517. That's when Martin Luther, um, where Martin Luther King Jr. got his namesake from, Martin Luther is the one who, who nailed his 95 thesis to the Catholic Church saying, you are saying that we're supposed to be saved by works. And I found some scripture that says it's not by works, as any man should boast, but we're saved by grace, through faith. And so that became his thesis and he began, he, began, he began the Protestant movement, pulling many out of the Catholic Church, saying that those ways are the ways of, of works to get to God. You never know quite sure where you stand with God at any time, but I'm here to tell you it's all by the love of God and by the grace of God that we are saved. Historically, prejudice, as we know it today, came after the Reformation of the church. Before that, you didn't see a whole lot about it. Some historians believe that the reason for this was the feeling of elitism among Protestant believers. They just felt that they were better. It started with being better than the Catholics. And next thing you know, it begins to move in all other sects of life. We're just better than them. Did you know that during the Renaissance era, paintings 
uh, that were painted that they know have right now in museums depicting black men as nobles and as kings. And it was not uncommon to see those kinds of things. Did you know that Tertullian, an early church father, wrote that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a black woman? Now, nobody know, can know that for sure. People will tell you they know for sure. They, nobody can know that for sure. We know that she was Jewish. We don't really know the color of her skin. But what's interesting to note is that nobody refutes him and that nobody argues with him as if, how could you say that he comes from a black woman? Isn't that, isn't that interesting? It was more accepted in those times than it is currently. Again, racism is learned behavior. Did you know that the gospel outside of Rome was preached in Africa first? Study your Bible. goes right to Egypt. Why am I bringing this up? Because black folks have a claim to church history just as much as other ethnicities. That we cannot say that we've got a certain stake or claim to it. Every people group does. Teeny Jakes made a statement, and I wrote this down. I thought it was so profound. We don't want a handout, he said. We just want the same opportunities and access as everybody else. He said, we're not asking for special treatment. We just don't want to be tried and convicted on a sidewalk. Man, I wish I could preach like T.D. Jakes. That was good. I don't have all the answers, church. But one thing I, I know needs to happen is that we need to break down the walls that are dividing us. If you're feeling uncomfortable right now, it's because there's still a wall that is there. Let's just be honest about it. Nothing wrong with that. And let me just tell something to my wife. 18, it must be God you were here. 18% is actually here. And those watching me that are watching me by streaming. Let me just tell you, I, I'm a white man. It's pretty obvious. But let me, just say, let me just say this to you. I love you. I am for you. I get you more than anybody else in the room probably. I understand. And I know that you don't like to be called a racist. You know, church, I'm just going to say this and because I'm going to bring some balance. You know, we can't be calling other people names. You cannot begin to say you're, you're going to want healing and then say, but I'm going to jab you on the way out. Nobody knows the intent of somebody's heart. We're not the judge and we're not the jury. And we need one another. We can't be hurling all kinds of different things towards each other and expect that there's going to be a better day because that's not how this is going to work. Amen. I, I, I've not talked to a lot of people about this stuff, but we talk about it uh, internally and with a few people. And I think there's a, a, there's a confusion that's among white people right now because they don't know what they're supposed to do. They feel like they're, if I say this, I'm going to be wrong because they see it on social media. And if I do this, I'm going to be wrong. And where do I even stand right now? But the cool thing is everybody needs to know that white people are trying to find a balance. They're trying to find the answers themselves. I bet you in Google there are looking stuff like that you wouldn't believe right now. Isn't that a good thing? We have to break down these walls that divide. Have you, ever, have you ever thought why people build walls in the first place? They build them for protection. They build them for a defense against enemy forces. They build them for a sense of security. Church, the walls of fear have to come down. The walls of ignorance and the walls of separation and the walls of injustice have to come down. The Great Wall of China was built at the time to keep out Genghis Khan and his mighty army, his forces, and other very powerful forces uh, from coming and taking over China. The Great Wall of China stretches 6,000 
8,000 miles. Wow. You can see it from the moon. It has stood for over 2,000 years, and it's a symbol of a people's desire just to feel safe. Hadrian's Wall in Great Britain, also known as Rome's Wall, was built for a similar reason, to keep the tribes of the north from threatening Roman settlements in the south. It was built in the second century and ran 73 miles long through the English countryside. Again, just so people can feel safe. How about, many, most of you will know this, how about the Berlin Wall? How many, remember the, how many remember in 1989 when the Berlin Wall came down? Most of us were very young during that time, but we were younger, that's, that's for sure. 45 years, they had wall, a wall stood that separated the east from the west, right? And the uh, uh, one was divided and was communistic while the other one was set free. 45 years that wall stood there, and then the day came, 1989, and the people took that wall down. I remember them chipping away uh, on top. Of, remember those scenes of that? It was amazing, and people were chipping away and putting holes, and for the first time, family members were able to see one another through those walls, and, and people were connecting, but the thing is, once the walls finally came down, the people didn't know how to react with each other. Once we begin to get what we want in our society, we're still going to have these invisible walls. Come on, y'all. You got to hear what I'm saying. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? We're going to still have walls. It's not like it's going to heal everything. People still need to be healed from the inside out, not from the outside in. And yes, we got to start with the outside. No doubt about it. First the natural, then the physical. Uh, first, first the natural, then the spiritual. And the truth is it's hard to tell someone about Jesus if their stomach is hungry, right? So you take care of this physical need first. We get that. But then what happens in the aftermath? Is it going to solve the problems? I remember in the mid-90s, large thousands of white people got on their knees and began to repent to the black people. What happened to them 400 years prior? They repented. And the country is worse off now than it ever was. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying we've got to look a little bit deeper and go, wait a second here. That's not really going to heal the issues that are going on. It's a start. It's a spark. But it's going to need the wind of God to pick that spark up and cause it to become a blazing flame. So they didn't know how to react. And it took years and years, a whole generation, for people to begin to interact with you because they only knew how to work in a certain function in a certain way. Church, Jesus came to destroy the spiritual and ethnic walls that divide us. His mission was to remove the barriers that keep us from knowing God and from truly knowing each other regardless of race. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul describes how Jesus breaks down walls and brings people together. It says this, uh, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, in whom you also are being built together, built together, uncircumcision and circumcision, for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. I'm going to break that down in just a second. What do walls do? Walls separate us. A great wall separated the early church into two categories. What was it? Jew and Gentile. Let's talk about that. For the church in Ephesus, the division was a reality. There was, in, in fact, two types of divisions, social and spiritual. Social division, we read in in a reread verse 11, that Gentiles were called a derogatory term by the name of uncircumcised. That was like cussing them out. 
That was like calling them a racial slur. That's exactly what that was. You uncircumcised. Remember, David said that, you uncircumcised Philistine? That was cussing him out. Oh, yeah. He was done with that, that joker. For Jews, circumcision, and this was the, the time of Christ now, not today. Circumcision was a badge of honor, a mark of distinction. We are God's people, they're saying, and you are not God's people. We're in with God, you are not. There are two kinds of people to Jews. Those who are Jews, those who are not Jews. The Jews of Jesus' day would often pray two things. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not born a woman. The men would pray that. That's terrible. And the other prayer was, thank you, Lord, that I was not born a Gentile. Yes. Jewish literature from that time indicated that Jews believed God created Gentiles for the sole purpose of fueling the fires of hell. The Gentile was only made to go to hell. It was unlawful for a Jew to help a Gentile woman give birth, for that is simply helping another Gentile into the world. Can you imagine how uncomfortable it was, and that's why he had to deal with it. Paul dealt with it in the early church, how uncomfortable it was that Gentiles were actually getting saved. Because no respecting Jew could ever believe that's possible. They thought the Messiah was just for them. I'm preaching better you want to shout. I know, I know it's a little uncomfortable, but let's get down to it. They thought it was just for them. That's how most people that have positions of power feel, that it's just for them. But the day of reckoning comes, and you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater for it to happen. You can have it all together. The Jews, yes, had a Messiah promised to them through Abraham, without a doubt, no doubt about it. But it wasn't just for Abraham. It was for every single man, woman, and child on planet Earth. Mine. Mine. Share. You have to share, right? Mine. We got to learn to share. Can you imagine how uncomfortable it was when they began to come together? In other words, the wall came down in the spirit, but not in the natural. They were still dealing with their prejudices. How do you say that? Is that right? Something close to that. Look, let's not kid ourselves. This is true of every ethnic group. There's always suspicion of other groups and a fear that outsiders will take away what we hold so dear. And then the media begins to play on those fears. Why do they play on those fears? Have we not learned anything yet? The media has to get clicks. They have to sell. Fear sells. Good news. Nobody, nobody listens to good news. We want to hear bad news. We are, we are, we are, we are addicted to it. When social media began, it was a great thing. Then when people begin to find out something, oh, I can say something negative. And you'll see most of the comments on people's posts are 10 to 1 negative. What a miserable life they must lead. But it's addictive. What do you do when you walk into a church that is predominantly a different color than you? What's the first thing people do? They start looking around. Why are they looking around? Because they're prejudiced? No. Because it's just easier to look for a people group that looks like them. And so they sort of migrate over to them because they feel a little bit more comfortable. We've all done it without even thinking about it. 
Because we've been told we must choose a side. Am I preaching okay? I had to bring the history here. You look around, you try to find out who's who. There is a spiritual division. An even deeper division existed between Jews and Gentiles before the gospel came. Saved Jews believed that Gentiles were separated from Christ. That they had no hope of a Messiah. That there was no Savior to look forward to. So wherever they, uh, uh, so whatever deliverance they, they longed for was only a pipe dream to them. It wasn't a reality. Also, Gentiles were excluded from citizen in, citizenship in Israel. Only Israel could claim to be God's nation. And only Jews could be called to be God's people. Even Gentiles who, uh, who converted to Judaism were no more than second-class citizens. The gospel the kingdom, all the benefits did not ever go to a Gentile. Gentiles were foreigners to the covenant of the promise. It goes without saying that Gentiles had no clue that God had promised anything and everything to them, they, but they, instead they were not preached. It was never preached by the Jews to them, their benefits. Gentiles were, were without hope. No promises, no hope. Common Gentile thinking at that time was that when you die, you die. You die you cease to exist. If you did believe in the afterlife, it was uncertain and no guarantee of where you would actually end up. Gentiles were without God in the world. They had no knowledge of God on a personal level. Gentiles felt like outcasts in the church. They weren't Jews, and they were unaware of what Scripture said about them. Let me just say about this church. In this church, we want the outcast. We want the misfits. You don't fit anywhere else. You belong in this church. We want those who have been church hurt, that felt like they never opened, never come to a door of a church again. We want you in this place. We want to see you restored. We want to see the call of God come up out of you. Somebody say amen. We are to bring peace. And that peace, I believe, will destroy the walls that separate. When do walls become obsolete and unnecessary? When there's peace. When there's peace. What is peace? It's not when armies laid down their weapons. In the last 4,000 years, only 268 years of the 4,000 years have actually had peace. There's been over 8,000 war uh, treaties, peace treaties rather, that they would have no war. 8,000 been signed and most never kept. People don't trust one another. They've been broken. Paul tells us how Jesus defines peace by saying, he says, but now, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, he says, but now in Christ, Jesus, who, who once were far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier. Everybody say, destroy the barrier. The dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. What is real peace? Peace is oneness. Peace is harmony. Shalom. Nothing missing, nothing lacking that cannot be repaired. Peace is a person, according to Paul. Jesus is our peace. I said Jesus is our peace. He is the rock of our salvation. He is the hope of all nations. He's the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. And he is the prince of peace who offers peace that surpasses all understanding. Yes, it's just that good. That's why it's called the good news, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And it's only when we are, we are at one with Jesus that we can begin to solve the conflict that's around us. There's, there's, i got to say this, and I didn't want to say it, but i got to say this. I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned that we got pastors out there that are not pressing for prayer. They're pressing for action. Why can't we have, the Bible says that when they went to restore the broken down walls of Jerusalem, that Nehemiah gathered them together and he began to give them instruction. He said, now put a sword in your hand and put a trowel in your hand. Because as we begin to go and fix that wall, we have to look around to make sure that our enemies don't attack us. We will be on the attack if they come. In other words, we can do both. But to say not prayer? What kind of man of God would ever say pray later? That's not your responsibility, sir. That's not your responsibility, ma'am. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. You are supposed to be the leading prayer warrior. While you act. When Jesus died, the Bible says that the veil in the temple was torn in two. That at that moment, Galatians 3.28, it says that there were, he said that's why there's neither Jew nor Greek. Slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all in one Christ Jesus. The veil of separation, a four-inch beautiful piece of curtain tapestry that divided the outer court, inner court rather, with the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was where the Ark of the Covenant was. It's where the mercy seat was. It's where God dwelt. He dwelt in that tabernacle, in that place. And the priest could only go once a year. And he had to be a holy man. He had to have a perfect record. He had to have a perfect sacrifice in order to enter in that. And they would tie a cord around his ankle. Why? Because if he wasn't perfect, he would die. The Bible says you went before God in those days without the blood of Christ. You went before God in those days in fear and trembling. You didn't know exactly where you stood. And if they, 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 they heard no more noise from the priest... They knew he had died. They pulled him out by the cord because they couldn't retrieve the body. That's truth. And priests did die. That's truth. And now God says, no more. My son has become the ultimate sacrifice. And because of his blood, because you are now in him, now then the Bible says he tore the top of that veil all the way to the bottom. And in that moment he was saying the whole wide world can have access to the Father. Not just the Jew, but every single man, woman, and child. You ought to say amen. <laughs> this was the purpose, to bring before God a new people without distinctions. You are not known by your gender alone. You are not known by your race alone. You are not known by just your education or your social background any longer. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Somebody shout yes. I am no longer a kid that grew up in Rockford, Illinois. Uh, to Jerry and Gloria Pruitt, I am a child of the Most High God. My distinction now is in Christ. You are no longer limited or being limited by the, your physical traits, your characteristics, or the color of your skin, or your namesake that you indeed carry. The Bible says, whom the Son sets free. That had been a good time to have some keyboard right there. Is free indeed. Amen.
and amen. I'm proud of what's going on and not so proud. There's an ugly side of all this too, y'all. And I made up my mind, I'm going to stay with the positive, but there's some ugly stuff happening in America as well. My hope and my cry is that at the end of the day, because I tell you, I prophesy, there will be justice. I prophesy that there will be changes in the police department. Prophesy, it'll happen. It's already happening. But my concern is what happens next. Because healing has to begin. And only God can truly heal a person's heart. And a lot of pain over a lot of years has happened. And if we only blame somebody else's color of their skin, we're headed for a civil war. And I don't see that right now. I don't think God's going to allow that to happen. But I'll tell you, if we don't start seeing healing, another generation will go, and it could mean that it's worse in 40 years from now than it was when we got the justice in 2020. We got to have more than this. And the more I'm talking about, the more I'm talking about is Jesus.